0: Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television himself, Mr. Aaron
1: Martin. How are you, sir? I am well, Steve, and anxious for today's show, as we have recent Toyota Texas Bass Classic champion, Dave LaFebra, on standby to talk about the importance of mechanics and shallow water fishing. Yeah, well
0: Dave's had a good month, and I'll be anxious to hear about yeah. all that. <laughs> Let's get started.
1: Get her like that, oh, boy. Good job.
0: I don't know of any other sport that offers a challenge with bass fishing. But...
1: Oh, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome.
2: Watch for the fish to pace the
1: bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right there. Man. You're listening to The Egg, the official audio program of Bass Edge.
0: Well, Aaron Diana told me you're going to go
1: as Dr. Love this Halloween. Well, you know, it's it's still kind of a toss-up because I'm wavering between Dr. Love and Dennis Rodman in the only situation <laughs> that I'm dealing with here. I, I just don't know if I can get the tattoos and the body piercings in the right place. But, you know, how, how about you? Are you are you still going as your beloved Auburn football player? Oh, that's wrong.
0: That is just wrong right there. No, I, I will not <laughs> be going as an Auburn football player. uh Unless I'm mutilating pretty bad, so, uh, no, but uh, I want you to be careful about them piercings. I'm not sure what the Outdoor Channel think about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not too sure what I'll think about that, put it like that. <laughs> sounds like it hurts. Uh, yeah, yeah, it sounds like... A- of course, you already know that, right? Uh no, no, Steve, I I haven't followed in your footsteps yet, but uh yeah, I, I that's something I don't care to find out.
0: Well, I understand somebody found a little time to go fishing this week.
1: Yeah, you know, I was fortunate. I, I was able to get out for a few hours uh, over the weekend on Saturday and you know, I would have called you but uh I knew your beloved crimson tide was on TV and so I figured <laughs> you were probably in shutdown in the in the Brigman household. <laughs> I tell you
0: what, if I'd gone fishing I'd probably have a few less gray hairs. That game was a little too uh too close for comfort, but uh so how was fishing?
1: Well fishing was a, you know of course it's always good anytime you can get out on the lake and uh, for for our listeners out there we've been just experiencing kind of a uh, ongoing you know it's, it's the season of weather changes that's all I can say. One day it's like 70 degrees and bright and mm-hmm. sunny and the next day you know we get inches of rain and a northern blows through and temperature drops out but uh, what I was able to experience was basically we've had some high water obviously as you well know I know you were doing some, some other work you know that the floodgates have been open uh, for quite some time had water coming in but it's also it's rapidly falling and i could tell this not only because i checked the generation schedule you know to see what was going on there and and how much they were actually generating but you could also see this just on the um you know on the bushes and the trees and the rocks from where the water line was i mean they're dropping it dropping it rather quickly and you know the bass pulled out steve uh bait fish are just absolutely loaded in the backs of, of the creeks and, and the coves and that, but nothing was really bothering them. And, you know, my success came on uh, kind of the secondary points, uh, the first secondary points, if you were coming from the back of the creek, which mm-hmm. makes sense. You know, they're going to stage up right there. Sure. Um, they were still actually a little bit deeper than what I anticipated, though, but it was still fun.
0: Well, you know, uh, this is typically a rainy time of year here here at, uh, in the Ozarks where we fish, but we have had an Unusually out of character uh, amount of rain, and you know what, Aaron? You, you know, you can talk about spring patterns all you want, but let's face it: uh, what we have going on here, and it happens every year in one regard, is that you get this sort of anomaly, this sort of thing that doesn't fit into what you've known in the past, and. Uh, Uh, now it's incredible water and that quickly dropping water. I heard the other day that the core had a December 1st target date to get it down to pool level. Well, man, that is cranking it down. And what it does is it creates a, a out of character conditions. And what that does is put the fish out of character from what you know, what you've done in the past, what patterns might, uh, indicate
1: and, Sometimes you got to go search for some fish. Well, absolutely. We go back to the buzzword of stabilization. And, you know, here I kept thinking, you know, we've got all this high water coming in. And you know there there's a lot of bushes and willows and stuff like that that's that's around the shoreline. And you know I was just chomping at the bits, waiting for that water to stabilize because those bass, as you well know, will move into those bushes. And I mean it's it's shallow water, you know, lights out style fishing. Well, the problem is, you know, we've had eight inches of rain this month. I mean that's that's a little much <laughs> for for even the Highland Reservoirs to handle. And like you said, those fish don't know what's going on. And I think um, what what I witnessed anyway was that the fish are kind of staging out um they know that the water's coming down and then the the bait fish themselves i mean i would throw a say a spinner bait or, or a topwater or something just right on the bank and i mean bait fish would just literally scatter everywhere so i think what's happening is the bass they're staging up and then when they decide to move in and feed they're going to move in you know they school up and just go on a free feeding frenzy and then guess what they drop right back off onto those points, those ledges, uh, stage there until they see some stabilization take place.
0: Well, Aaron, talk to me about this. You know, when you were out Saturday... Uh, how long did it take you to identify where those fish were? Did, were they where you thought they would be originally, or did you have to make adjustments?
1: Absolutely, they were not where I thought they would be. You know, I I went back again and referenced records, and just based upon past experience of thinking of what they should be, but, you know, we've been given a curveball. And this water and, and this fluctuation, normally we have an influx of water, but it's not quite at this level. In addition, normally they're not dropping it as quick as what they are. So, you know, it it really took me, um, I would say, an hour to really figure out that, man, you know, the fish just aren't in the bushes, they're not in the backs, and seeing kind of those water lines like I was telling you about and just also knowing in advance as far as the generation schedule. But like our interview with James Nigemeyer, the last interview that we had, you know, what he said was, and I think he put it very well, move in and do what you think, but if you're not getting results, don't continue to sit in there and, you know, pound the banks or, or, or definition of insanity, you know, doing the same behavior, expecting different results. And so I pulled out and actually the fish that I caught, were in twofold one that like i said they were on the secondary points in about 15 feet of water Uh, they were i looked at my electronics they were holding a little bit off the bottom so they were holding a little bit higher in the water column and i took a football jig and was just basically i was hopping it trying to hop it about three foot off the bottom get that reaction strike Mm -hmm. Um, and then also i moved out on some of the ends of the docks on these similar points looked for docks that were sticking out a little bit farther than the others. When the sun came out and, uh, you know, they were holding kind of underneath the capsulated foam, let it sink about seven, eight feet, and normally that's when you would get your bite.
0: Aaron, don't you believe that that is really one of the big steps you can take as a bass fisherman is when you uh, learn and also don't you think it's as much mental as anything when you develop that mindset of, making adjustments on the water and not being discouraged that your first tries uh,
1: were not uh, successful. Absolutely. I do think there is certainly a significant mental component in there. And, and, you know, um, one of the things that we've talked a lot about is just the ability to make decisions on the water. Now, I think also what you've got to be careful of is when you have this information, whether it be newly discovered or information from the past, you know, those conditions are changing moment by moment. And so you can't get locked in. You know, I, I've done this so many times. I've, I've had mapped out what I thought was going to take place, and then I've stuck with that too long. You can't be scared to abandon. It goes back to what Boyd Duckett told me one time uh, a couple years ago. He said, you know, if I'm not on the winning pattern, he said, I don't care if I'm catching keepers or not, but if I don't have what it takes to win, he said, I'm going to start that tournament. And he said, I'm going out basically looking for all new stuff because he said it's pointless to go out there and do what you think based upon past experience if it's not going to work. And the other thing that I'm looking forward to, you know, our next guest with Dave Lefebvre is going to be talking about mechanics. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about the mental aspects, but I think Dave's going to bring us full circle and really get us back to, uh, you know, something that matters. And that's the mechanics of fishing. Well, we need to
0: take a break here and get to Dave's interview, and I'll talk to you afterwards about you and I going out and catching those fish next week.
1: All right. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the
2: best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution is here.
1: Finally, a safe and convenient way to access any trailer boat. Introducing the new Flex Step by MegaWare Guard. Forget climbing over the sides ever again. Mount a Flex Step on the side of your trailer for easy access to rod lockers and tackle compartments with no boarding. Or bolt the high quality aluminum Flex Step to your trailer's tongue and enter your craft without ever getting wet again. Completely flexible, great for cleaning windshields, and the Hollow tube doubles as a storage area. Available at major marine centers or learn more via the web. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Dion Hibden. For additional tips and techniques, be sure to join us at BassEdge.com after the show. Welcome back to the Edge. Joining us this week is a six-year pro with earnings of more than $800,000 and his most recent being the Toyota Texas Bass Classic earlier this month. From Union City, Pennsylvania, please welcome Dave LaFibra. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey! Thanks. Good to be here. Well, Dave. First off, you know, I guess uh, I, I want to give you my personal congratulations on your most recent victory. It it must feel pretty good, given the championship had you pitted against both FLW and Bass competitors.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's still kind of sinking in. You know, we're kind of nearing the end of the season. Only got one event left, and that was the second to the last one, and and quite frankly, you know, one that I would really, that uh, anybody would really like to win. So. Uh, here was a... Good, close to the year. I'm are happy about
1: it. Well, absolutely. You know, Dave, I think as anglers, all of us, you know, regardless if we compete on a formal level or just out there, you know, competing against the fish uh, recreationally, we all have kind of that competitive drive or competitive spirit. And, you know, I know you in particular. You possess on-the-water skills and execution that really a lot of us aspire to achieve. And perhaps you could summarize for me what makes, I guess, Dave Lefebvre so successful. Oh um,
2: man! I mean, there's just so many things. I think you know. First off, the top of my head, just uh, you know, being consumed by the sport. You know, since an early age, I was introduced to you know the fishing in general from my dad. And when I was you know, I have pictures of me when I was three years old holding perch and and uh, you know sunfish and all that stuff. So I mean, just being you know, I I I, I loved the sport initially and um, loved. Competition later on in life, you know, like sports you know football and wrestling and stuff like that and but I always loved outdoors, loved fishing, and I think that you know to strive at anything you just have to have that desire and you know that burning to uh to uh to get into it so that's how you know that's how it all starts i think and and that spawns uh you know your your wantingness your need to the practice and, and just, uh, you know, try to cover every aspect and every angle of the sport and try to become, you know, as good as you can, you know, ultimately the best at, at everything you do. And, and you know, that, that desire still hasn't left me today. You know, I still want to be better. I still feel like I learned something. You know, every time I'm out on the water, at least I try to. And, um, you know, just, I guess it's the old adage, you know, practice makes perfect and that desire just makes you want to practice.
1: Sure. No question there. And, you know, I guess when you look at where you were raised and and kind of your exposure to the sport um, of of angling, you know, do you feel that your location, geographically speaking, has helped hurt you or is really kind of an indifference uh, just given, you know, your success and performance on the water?
2: No, I, that's a, that's a big part, and that, that, that you know, your first question just goes right into it, and I could talk all day about you know how you know the, the different things that that make an angler better, and and I think that's just one of those you know accidental deals. You know, I was born where I where I'm at, and it just so happens that I have you know every conceivable type of cover and structure besides cypress trees. <laughs> uh, available, you know, and and I, and I and I and that's that's something you know that 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 I really really focused on at an early age. I, I mean, I, I can go back to high school, you know, going going to to places that I never been, or forcing myself to take different baits because you can catch fish on any type of lure that's imaginable somewhere around where I live. Um, and and I used to just force myself to go out with a box of crankbaits. You know, I've always loved to jig fish and fish shallow and target fish, but you know it's a different ballgame when you don't have anything in the boat for a week but the crankbaits that run ten feet deep. So, uh, and I have the luxury of having all those types of water. And, and most of us, you know, that are serious about the sport, I think you know they have different waters that you can go practice on. You just got to force yourself to uh, to do things that you're less comfortable with and try to get better at everything. And, and it's, you know, just living where I do, it's, it's a little bit easier for me.
1: So is that um, kind of your definition then of practice is, you know, really going out and, and forcing yourself to kind of, you know, maybe refine things that you already know, new areas, uh, things along those lines. But also it sounds to me like it, perhaps more importance is placed upon, you know, going out and forcing yourself to try new baits and, and figure out how you can basically adapt those into kind of your personal situation.
2: I mean, to become one of the best, that's what you have to do. I mean, you know, there's there's so many aspects. That's what I love about our sport. And, you know, I hear it. You know, I've listened to, I'm a best edge fan. I've listened to all your radio interviews. And the topic comes up, you know, um, often about versatility and things like that. And you just need to be good. At everything, and and, and the, the better you are, the better you're gonna you know you're gonna succeed in in the long run. And it you know it's not just forcing yourself to fish other baits and fish different water and, and things like that. It's it's mechanics, you know. And that's one thing you know that I've always disagreed with. You always I've heard you know even when I was getting started, and I believed it early on that we're all you know once you get to the pros, everyone's equal mechanically. It's all mental from that point on. And, and you know. I think, you know, I think that's bullcrap. You know, there's guys that are good at certain things, and you need to just practice mechanically as well as as, uh, mentally. And and like I said earlier, you know, just fishing different things, forcing yourself to be good at everything.
1: Well, do you go out looking to put yourself during your practice periods in situations, you know, that – perhaps you haven't been in before is it is it a constant you know refinement and and trying to i guess make yourself better maybe in a changing weather condition or different structure um you know how how do you approach that
2: well most of the time in practice you know it, it's a little bit different most of what i was talking about is when when you have free time you know you know to practice and do things out of the ordinary uh, in practice you know, I'm usually, and this is where I'm still learning every day, you know, fishing different lakes. Uh, A lot of times what happens, especially when you do well, you kind of find an area or look at the lake as a whole and it just kind of reminds you of somewhere or it reminds you of a certain time of year that you do well in a place that looks like that. You know, the more you fish and the more new water you fish, the more knowledge you gain and the more, you know, the more memories you have and and uh, a lot of times, believe it or not, it just comes down to you know feeling comfortable. That's where the mental part comes in. You know, just um, you know, it just kind of puts you more at ease, which is exactly what happened in Texas last week. You know, it's just one of those. Every once in a while, you go to a place that reminds you of somewhere you fished back home, or somewhere you fished on a vacation one time, and uh, and and you try the techniques that actually work at that time. Maybe it was 15 years ago, and uh, sometimes that works, and and uh it worked for me in texas that's for sure (laughs) yeah
1: absolutely i'll say it did um you know this is the time of year kind of when we find ourselves uh where the bait is is really starting to i don't know if you want to say group up or ball up or, or what the correct term there is but what advice can you offer us when we're trying to entice bass when they have you know that much of the real thing present in an area of which you're targeting you know when you've got just literally millions and millions of of bait fish that's that's in the area
2: yeah that's you know that's a tough thing to think about it it sounds talking about it sounds more difficult than it actually is i think um i was just out fishing this morning and we have a situation here it's everywhere in the country in the fall you know the bait fish are getting more active everything's kind of moving up shallow reservoirs and 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 big rivers you know fish tend to migrate into the creeks and and get a little more predictable but you know those that this time of year i think just this you know you want to kind of match you know match your bait fish size whatever you have where i live it's emerald shiners and they're about you know two to three inches long and Silver and got a little blue on them you know you just try to match them a little bit um and a lot of times it's just a disturbance once you find those bait fish and you run something through them you know things start moving around fish get nervous the minnows scatter and that you know it's usually a reaction strike this time of year which is what i really love about the fall
1: well and you bring up a good point concerning you know matching the hatch that's that's a term that all of us as anglers have heard and talk about quite often are there times you know specifically this time of year that you ever maybe go against the grain and and try and shake things up a little bit
2: um yeah i mean i I like you know i like to do everything and and uh, fall for me is a time when the tournaments are ending, and I get a chance to get out there and have some fun on places I haven't been, you know, for a year or so. Sure. So I, I go out there and try different things. But, you know, I think I'm not a biologist and really don't know much about you know crayfish migration and all that kind of thing. But it it seems like later in the fall, even though there's bait fish around, it's a good time to catch, you know, the biggest bass of the year on a you know a big fat jig. Um, even even when when you know, fish seems to be the main forage at the time. So I, I like to mess around with stuff. And, and uh, you know, sometimes I'll be out there throwing a deep crankbait in and, and this time of year after the turnover's over and catch some real big smallmouth. But uh, I like to mix it up. And, and it, it'll pay off every once in a while.
1: You know, and you had mentioned earlier that um, obviously you have kind of an affection for fishing shallow, and certainly I know that that's one of your strengths is fishing shallow targets accurately. Why is that important, and and really perhaps you could also tell us kind of what that means to you?
2: Well, that's, you know, early on in my career I kind of got labeled that way, and I always thought, you know, I don't want to be one of those fishermen that get labeled and specialize in something, you know. And I and I pride myself on 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 being versatile on catching fish for however I have to do it uh, things like that. But uh, that it's it's still in me, you know. When I show up somewhere, usually like uh, we just filmed a, a show for the PAA this last couple of days on a new lake that I'd never been to before, and and I proved to myself that's kind of my tendency is to start shallow and try to make try to force uh, you know what I like to do to work. And I think that's what all of us are like. But I still I still love to get up there shallow. I love to, you know, to skip docks and things like that. That's what I used to work so hard at with a bait caster when I was in my teens, you know, just going out and practicing uh, casting and getting in those little nooks and things like that. And I think it's real important, and, and it's still something I like to do. And you, you know what? It, it, it gets, it's even more exciting to me to uh, – to get to do it in a tournament which hasn't happened for me in uh uh you know years so you actually get to, to do something that is your roots and something that you really love to do and and uh i just happened to you know at the end of the season i had a strand gas and i got to get my eight foot rods out in the old skipping skipping jigs and get the equipment and just get fine-tuned back into the the rhythm of dock fishing and it carried right over into texas so it. It, it feels good to do what you what you really love, but
1: can't you don't get to do it very often. Exactly, exactly. And you know, when you 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 bring up docks, I mean, is is that the primary, I guess, target when you say you know fishing accurately? Because obviously, you know, you have the capsulated foam for the floating docks, or you, yeah, maybe you have the timbers. it's like it's it's like docks, trees. You know,
2: there's always anything shallow, but docks are are real challenging and. Uh, and then also, like, bushes. You know, we have a lot of overhanging bushes and things like that, some of the canals around here, and, and uh, just getting in those little cracks. And even, you know, sometimes yo-yoing over bushes, you know, casting into a hole maybe the size of a golf ball that's four feet above the water sometimes. Um, just stuff like that, you know. Um, you know, anything like that. And I'll tell you, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, in my younger days, you know, I wasn't I I didn't I didn't fish a dock a lake that had a lot of docks and I went to a place called Ch- Chautauqua that's about thirty minutes from my house and a uh, renowned smallmouth fishery but one of the first times I ever encountered like dock fishing and I I tried to skip under a pontoon boat and hit it not touch and, you know <laughs> boing made a loud noise and everything and and I found out that's not something that you want to be doing on a regular basis
0: especially in New York.
1: Ring the dinner bell. Uh, get,
2: yeah, I, I, I think I had a, that first day. I had somebody come down and threatened to kill me. So uh, that, that you know that adds a little incentive to to try to get good at it and, and be respectful and try not to hit people.
1: It, right. it, it absolutely does and you know i guess a question that comes up quite often and i'm sure you get this a lot too is let's say when you have a bush or or a dock okay how how much time do you know how to spend on that obviously a dock you know if it has, if it's a single slip or maybe it has you know a couple different wells in it you know there, there's a lot of uh, nooks and crannies and areas that the the bass can can hide under or even in a bush you know how many drops and presentations or flips or, you know, at what point do you say, okay, enough is enough, the fish aren't here, I need to go to the next one?
2: Um, well, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, experience uh, pays off big time. And, uh, again, that's what I love about the sport is the, the puzzle, you know, trying to figure it out. But I think in general, off the top of my head, you know, I think, you know, spending the time to and I guess investing the time to, to find the position of the fish um, is, is the key when you're dock fishing, especially when, when when in a tournament situation or in a practice situation where you only have two or three days. And um, sometimes that's the hardest part, you know. Um, for me, I think getting into dock mode, you know, like pushing that, that button uh, <laughs> is real important. I love it when you know that you're going to catch them on the docks. And then from then on, I think it's just trying to find the pattern within that pattern, you know, trying to, you know, invest the time, you know, fish the docks on the main lake, the ones that are at the mouth of creeks, the ones in the middle, ones in the back, and just cover a lot of water and fish the docks thoroughly until something jumps out at you and and just take the time. It's just like fishing offshore sometimes, you know? It might take you, like, you know, filming the show the other day, took us eight hours to get onto something, but once you find something, uh, it's going to pay off. And the more times you successfully divide and conquer, you know, the more uh, confidence you're going to build, and it'll give you, you know, the stamina to keep you know, to keep looking. So it's just one of those exciting things to me, is finding the pattern within the pattern, and that goes with any technique,
1: not just dock fishing. Sure, sure. And when you're, you know, hitting the docks or the bushes or these shallow targets that we're speaking of, are there always kind of a handful of baits that you go to first based upon your confidence and past experience?
2: Yeah, I would say, um, you know, there's a couple things, like a shallow a shallow diving crankbait. I mean, I really love a DT6, and they got the Rappell's got a couple of fat it's a fat three i really like um you know just to cover to cover water fastly and very quickly i mean that's like a pattern that you would that you would look that i would look for but my number one go-to is definitely a jig you know i have a specific jig that that i have been using for 20 years now i think and um it's mainly like a 7 16 ounce jig um you know, with a with a, a decent, a heavier trailer, I like the one you like. Um, I've always used a Konami Bug, and uh, it's just a little heavier. It's kind of like a Senko. It's made with the same salt and everything that's in a Senko, and it just provides a little bit more weight, but the head is smaller. So I, I just like that. That would be my number one choice, only because, you know, you can skip it and slide it into places um, better than than
1: other baits with a slip sinker or a heavier jig or, or a lighter one. Sure. You know, and it seems that the bass are finicky when it comes to, obviously I think all of us have experienced this, when it comes to weather changes. And, you know, being in, I guess, the fall or pre-fall or however you want to call this, um, this is the time of year when it certainly really deals out, I guess, a lot of of cold fronts. What is your approach to dealing with those? Well... I like to, uh, that's when I like to fish, and uh, especially in the fall, and,
2: and what I always tell people, you know, I get buddies that call and want to go, and we, we get one front right after the next, and uh, even back when I was guiding, this was my free time, and ha- you know, I schedule a lot of trips in October and November, and even into December, and I don't, you know, truthfully, I don't think the fronts really mean as much in the fall, um... The 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 fish are just so interested up here in in feeding and and getting ready for the winter, and uh, it really doesn't mean that much. It, you know, just I try to avoid that one bluebird day after the front passes and another than that. I think the recovery process is pretty fast in the fall, so um, it doesn't really bother bother the fish too much. I don't think in the fall as it does
1: in the summer. And in in closing. You know, Dave, what do we as anglers need to be concentrating on this time of year?
2: As a, as a pro angler and, and having the schedule that I have, actually, the answer would be my my family.
1: Well, that, that's, know, that's a great answer, and I'll make sure that uh, <laughs> that this interview gets, uh, you know, handed out before Christmas so that they can keep that in mind.
2: <laughs> there, there's a lot of things, you know, when you ask that. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, you know, back to what we talked about as far as practicing and stuff like that, and I'm not sure exactly what 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 direction you wanted me to go in, but this time of year you know i, I watched a lot of of video and and you know read a lot of magazines read a lot of magazines. This is a time when uh, you know when fishing might be down a little bit, and I used to you know set up cups and all kinds of different things in the backyard and go up in, in the backyard and go out there and play in the snow and cast and and do all kinds of stuff like that so um that's probably not what you were talking about, but that, that's what I would recommend if you're serious about fishing and, and it's winding down. You know, we've got winter coming up and, uh, you know, just practicing those things like casting and mechanics and then reading up and just, uh, you know, keeping yourself fresh and ready for the spring.
1: Well, I think that's a great answer and certainly ties right back into what you said at the beginning of the interview, that it comes back to mechanics, and, uh, you know, certainly that's that's a sure sign that uh, you not only preach it, but, uh, but you live it as well. Well, Dave, unfortunately, I do need to get us out to break, but before I do, thanks for your time, and certainly we look forward to talking with you again in the near future. All right, awesome. Thanks, Aaron.
0: When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cooks go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cooks tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780. that was a great interview you know and as much as we talked about the mental part and, and and all of that of fishing mechanics man dave nailed it on mechanics
1: well he certainly did you know and and uh i think it comes back to we'll, well look about what he was talking about as well just you know talking about fishing uh shallow water structure flipping docks those types of things and and you know he brought up a really kind of a deja vu for me from the standpoint that he too goes out in his garage or you know during the off season when the ground's frozen outside and he'll set up targets and that to work on that presentation you know mm-hmm. being able to skip those baits at under those docks create a light presentation into the water when he's you know flipping around pole timber or lay downs or something like that um, so I, I think you can't just say automatically write off and say okay because I am at this point in my career you know I can make a cast I, I know how to effectively use a bait caster and a spinning rod those type of things you can't just all of a sudden switch all of your focus over to the middle side well, that 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 is so true, and and, and let's face it, uh,
0: some days fish are going to move further for a bait than others, but there are those days, man, you got to put it on their nose, put it right next to that stick up, or uh, right on that pier, or uh, you know, for them to hit it, and that can separate you know, uh, catching fish and not catching fish, and then just, you know, the subtlety of the presentation. You know, when you flip and get that bait into the water without making a lot of commotion. And uh, it just simply takes a lot of practice, and it's like anything else in life. The more you do it, the better you get.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I I appreciate also um, concerning the use or the word of practice in fishing. You know, a lot of people tie that or associate that with going out and pre-fishing for a tournament. Well, to me, practice and pre-fishing for, uh, let's say, a competition are two totally different things. Dave covered that very, very well when he made the comment concerning, you know, if he's going to learn to fish crankbaits, he'll go out and take, you know, only a box full of crankbaits and nothing else. And he'll spend several days just learning how to do that because you know regardless of what bait you're throwing whether it's a spinner bait jig crank bait swim bait what have you there are certain subtleties to where like you spoke about fish react differently based upon the environment that they're in whether it be the weather or the cover or things like that and so the more that you have that bait in the water and are faced with those changing conditions the better prepared you are for when you're actually perhaps in a competitive situation. Well, sure. And a guy
0: like Dave, he's fine-tuning something that he's already very good at. But it's like a football team. I mean, they're not ready to play when they show up uh, at uh, fall camp. Uh, But, uh, you know, they have to practice and and fine-tune things that they're already good at. And, you know, that's what Dave's doing with these crankbaits. So uh, uh, mechanics, practice, it's all yeah, it's just it's just all so critical. But uh, Aaron, I got a we got a good question this week, and I know it's right up your alley because uh, uh, storing baits is kind of a, a thing of yours.
1: Yeah, I, I typically hoard hoard tackle.
0: <laughs> well, the one thing good about your boat, man, if I need it, I know where to find it because uh, we we've got uh, we've got the Bass edge boat full of of everything. But anyway, our question, uh, it's from James and. In Weewahitchka, Florida, I hope I got that right, I think I did, and James asks, I fish a lot of plastic baits, is it better to leave the baits in the package they come in, or some have told me that placing them in a tackle box with toothpicks is the way to go.
1: Well, that's, that's a good question, James. And you know, I've actually, I've, I've done both. So speaking from my personal experience, I'll share my preference with you. I prefer leaving them in the bags, um, that they come in for two reasons. First, obviously you well know, I use the cook's go to tackle systems, um, that allow me to actually hang the packages of baits. On the hooks directly under my my deck lid, so it keeps a. It takes up less storage space, but also it really gives me kind of an easy access to be able to grab those um, on the run when I need them. Secondly, what I have found is that um, if if you're using a scented bait, maybe it's a power bait or the gulp or or uh, whatever uh, those baits are soaked in, they tend to hold their scent a lot better when you actually have them. In a mm-hmm. sealed package. In addition, you know, if, if you're throwing those in a, um, a tackle box or a Plano box or something like that, you know, the oil and the just the exposure to sunlight. Now, obviously, if they're under a deck lid, you know, you're... Th- Probably thinking, Well, they're not going to get that much sunlight. Well, over the years, I mean, I can tell you that they actually do get sunlight, you know, and UV that comes through when you have those deck lids open. Not to mention that, you know, that oil um, has a, a real unique way of when you have those are storing those boxes in the vertical position, you know, that oil runs and those colors will bleed and I'm not really a big fan of, you know, if if I want a green pumpkin worm, I want a green pumpkin worm. I don't want it that it has purple streaks in it, you know, that type of thing.
0: Oh, that is that's so true. You know, when I was a youngster, I was a little less careful about that and I'd put different worms together and and uh, and there were some times where I would come up with this wild color that was sort of a hybrid between two worms I'd put together, two colors or even three, and uh, and I start catching fish on it. It's like, oh my gosh, uh, what? Uh, I don't have any more of that color because it really doesn't even exist. But uh, so and then have... I got into like putting two color worms together to try to reproduce it, and of course the worms are better. Today than they used to be, and they don't bleed as bad, but they still do. So, uh,
1: absolutely. But I just, you know, one thing I didn't realize, Steve, is that uh, I didn't realize you were the inventor of the hand poured technology for worms. Creating multiple. <laughs> cells. I need well, to give you a little more credit. Well, you know, that's that's.
0: I like to keep it under wraps. I don't get quite as many telemarketers calling. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And the green folks might give me a little little static over that, too.
1: I would think so. But anyway, regardless, James, uh, thanks for sending in that question. And, Steve, you know, I I certainly realize you are eager to begin your trick-or-treating prep, so we had better shut this down. But before we do, why don't you tell us who this week's prize winner is? Well, uh, we're going to give Joseph from, from Trenton, New Jersey, a Bass Edge hat. A fishing on the Edge t-shirt and a decal. Well, congratulations, Joseph. And just a reminder for everyone to be sure to go to BassEdge.com where you can not only sign up for your chance to win great prizes, but also learn more tips from some of the top pros. Also, be sure and check out Bass Edge TV, seen each and every day on the World Fishing Network. As always, it's been fun, and thanks for joining us. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, signing off for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew right here on the Edge. Bass Edge has been brought to you in part by Ditch Witch, Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Super Start Batteries, Mother's Polishes, Waxes and Cleaners, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.
0: Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.